we have the privilege and honor of welcoming back the president of the Atlanta Bible College, executive director of Northeast Conference, former pastor of North Hills Church of God for 20 years, my third cousin, and your friend, <laughs> Seth Owen Ross. I think he meant to say he's a dude. <laughs> so, hey, so uh, good to be back with you guys today. Hey, what's up, Dylan? Good to see you. Um, we have uh, part two. Andy, good to see you. Hey, guys. And uh, so, some of today is going to be a little bit different than uh, a regular sermon. The sermons are supposed to inspire. This isn't going to be inspirational. Um, hopefully, it is a little bit. Set the bar yeah, low. set the bar low, and then you always bring it up. So today what I want to do as a follow-up to last night, last night we told the story of the Abrahamic faith and how that transpired and got from the, the, the time the scriptures were written to where we are today. But today what I want to do is talk a little bit about uh, what is happening in the world today through the various churches of God across the General Conference. And then I want to talk about briefly uh, some of the things that I've learned in 25 plus years of ministry. And so this will be a, a nice encapsulation of everything. So well, the first part of the, the message today will be a little bit interactive. Some of it will be um, just a little bit informational. So I want to share uh, just a little bit about me. This is my family right here. I've got three boys, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Luke. If I had known I was going to have three boys, I might have started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by the time you get Isaac, Jacob, and a third boy comes along, you've got ten choices. But I know a Joseph, and my wife wasn't really cool with Gad, so we went with Luke out of the New Testament. And that's my mom uh, sitting there. Everybody, every boy needs a grandma to hang out with. So today, what I want to do uh, a little bit is talk about the Church of God General Conference. Troyview uh, is part of a group of churches here in the Ohio area in southern Canada called the Northeast Conference, and the Northeast Conference is really uh, part of a larger national uh, world uh, con uh, conference, the General Conference, there's an Indiana Conference, a Minnesota Conference, an Arkansas Conference, and conference sounds really corporate, but all it means is some churches that uh, have decided to cooperate together. Uh, so let me just tell a quick story about it. Church of God General Conference, how it came about. Uh, this might be some review from last night, but in the, the 1700s, uh, people started writing, especially in England and in Western Europe, about how they viewed the scriptures, and as they read it on their own, they didn't agree with what the, the, the Catholic Church worldwide was saying, and so uh, they started writing things in opposition and started getting killed for it. So they said, well, this isn't working out for us very well. Uh, let's go to the New World, and uh, a lot of them came to America and started writing in America, and they started bumping into each other and said, hey, uh, there's a church in Ohio that agrees with this church down the road over in Indiana, and hey, there's another church up in Illinois, uh, up in Michigan and over in Illinois, and uh, they all said, hey, we should um, start to cooperate, and uh, so they said, maybe we could get together and form some type of uh, working um, you know, relationship. Well, if you know anything about biblical Unitarians, they are willing to go against the grain and not get along with people. That's what allows them to think differently than the mainstream. So they all got together in 1869 to say, could we get together and work and cooperate? And the answer was, nope. So they tried again in 1888. They got together in Philadelphia and they said, hey, can we all get together and cooperate? The answer was, nope. 
And they, they argued about really, really important things, like what to call it. Was it going to be Church of God or Christian Connection? You know, things that have eternal importance. So, not really. Then, then they got together in 1910, tried to form some type of working cooperative uh, unit, and they couldn't do it. But it, finally in 1921, um, they got over their differences, and they said, you know, there's a few enough of us, like we've all been kicked out of other places, let's not kick each other out. And so they started working together. And what you'll find is that churches of God across the General Conference don't agree with each other on everything. But we agree on the, what we consider the big important things. God is one. Jesus Christ is His Son. When you die, you're dead. And then when Christ returns, there's going to be a resurrection. And He's going to establish uh, God's kingdom on the earth. Right? And we baptize people when they believe, not when they're born. So, believers' baptism. Uh, those things come together. And, and we have differences on a number of different matters. Different churches have different positions on you know, whether you should drink some alcohol or no alcohol. How you should do communion with wine or grape juice. Whether women should be a minister or not a ministry. What happens after you get divorced? Can you get remarried or not? Should women be elders or not elders? So, there's a lot of variation across the country. But on the big rocks... We have agreement. So, they started saying, well, where are we going to get our pastors from? Because if we go look for pastors from the uh, Catholic school down the street, or the Methodist school down the street, or the Lutheran school down the street, they're probably going to preach things that we don't really jive with, things that we don't see in Scripture. So in 1939, they said, we should start a Bible college. And they started a Bible college in Oregon, Illinois, for the express purpose of training pastors to preach truths that we collectively agree on. And uh, so we started turning that out. Now here's a little bit about my story, and here's where I begin to intersect with this story. In 1980, my dad was hired by uh, the Bible College to come work, and a year later, Anthony Buzzard was hired by the Bible College to come work. And so uh, that's where I grew up in middle school and in high school, um, Working with, not working with, I was in, in high school while my dad and Anthony and others were teaching at the Bible College. Then, ten years later, 1991, uh, the Bible College moved from Oregon down to Atlanta. And this was the groundbreaking ceremony with my dad and a guy named Dick Eldred. He was from Michigan. And he came down. He also had a construction experience and ramrodded that. Some of you may have actually driven down and helped out laying down decking on the roof or shingles or putting up framing or some type of electrical or whatever. Uh, yeah, Jim Schneider, you were there, right? So, and then it, also in 1991, Dr. Jill Martin joined staff at the Bible College, and uh, he looks a lot younger there than he does now. And we built a campus in Morrow, Georgia, right next to Clayton State. Some of you may have attended during that time. I got degrees from both the Bible College and from Clayton State. I have a teaching degree. I spent a year teaching 8th grade history and said, this is not for me. <laughs> so... I've been pastoring ever since. Well, in 2008, they uh, moved from Morrow, Georgia, a little bit further south. And this is where they're currently located on the south side of Atlanta in McDonough. And this is the building uh, that they purchased. 
And we occupy the fourth floor of that building. That's where our offices are. That's where our classrooms are. That's where we stream from. And then uh, the other three floors get rented out to just various businesses. And that rental income actually pays for the entire building. So God's really blessed us in, in a real way there. So over the years, since 1921, and there have been 10 conference leaders and 12 different college presidents. And... Um, some of those individuals served in both um, positions, as I do currently. But here's where another intersection with my family comes in. Uh, my grandfather uh, is pictured here. He was executive director of the General Conference from 1968 to 1980 for 12 years. He actually served as the uh, Worldwide Missions Coordinator prior to that. His name, he was a, uh, of German descent. His name was Stanley Otto Ross. It was actually Stanley Otto Adolf Ross, but strangely, he didn't use the Adolf too much through the 40s. And uh, so I'm actually, uh, I think Dan introduced me, Seth Owen Ross. And so now I am also executive director and was given that name so that I would have the same initials as my grandfather. So we get confused a lot because he was 6'2 and I'm not. But the baseball here... He gave to me when I was born, so clearly I don't remember that, but he gave it to my parents, and it says, to S.O. from S.O. And I have that on my uh, shelf in my office just as a reminder of, of the responsibility and the stewardship that I've been handed for this period of time in my life. It's also a reminder that this position isn't mine that I'm only here for a period of time, and then I'm going to hand it off. And I think that's one of the real strengths of the Church of God General Conference. It's not about one leader who hangs on to power and is in charge of everything and hands down dictates. It is a collective cooperative that we as believers, Jesus Christ is the head of every local church. It's not me. It's not a denomination. It's about Jesus. And we all independently follow him. And for a period of time... Uh, I'm going to sit in this chair, and at some point I'm going to hand it over to someone else. So let's talk about the Church of God General Conference real quickly. Um, the General Conference, here's a number of benefits of belonging to the conference. There's a number of benefits of uh, having your church cooperate with others and, and to participate in shared efforts. And some of those are shared events. This one might not pertain to many of you individually, but every year we have a minister's conference where the pastors of churches of God around the country can come together for a weekend and just encourage one another and uh, learn from each other, and it's a time of, of real edification. But then we also do events such as Christian Workers Seminar. That happens in the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area every spring. It actually didn't happen the last two years thanks to COVID, but it is happening the first week in May. And originally that was started to train people for ministry in churches. They get together for a week and you how to teach Sunday school, how to uh, be an elder, how to do a lot of those things. But it's, it's changed a little bit over the years. And now it's a week-long fellowship, worship, uh, encouragement, vacation kind of thing. And families come down and, and have fun. And we, we do some workshops in the morning. The afternoons are open to go shopping, go to Dollywood, go to the Great Smoky Mountains, do whatever you particularly like. And then we have evening worship services. This year, we're starting something brand new called the Young Adult Getaway. This is specifically for people in their 20s and 30s. This is a demographic of people who 
Unfortunately, when they kind of finish up doing youth group stuff, they don't feel like they're grown up enough to do grown up stuff, even though they are. And so they kind of disengage from the church. And as they disengage, or maybe they move away to college or whatever, they get less connected. And this is our uh, intentional effort to keep them connected to each other and then also to help them uh, see the value of reconnecting with their local church. Um, I can't go to this. I'm 51. I'm too old. And uh, we called a couple guys that are not uh, our age. They're in their 20s. Josiah Kane, a nephew of Mark's, um, and Kyle McLean, the pastor who took my position at North Hills when I left, and Talon Paul, uh, pastor who's about 26 out of um, Indiana. And we said, we want you guys to create an event that would appeal to people in their 20s and 30s. And they said, well, what do you want us to do? And I said, I can't tell you because that would be a 50-year-old idea for 20 and 30-year-olds. So we need you guys to come up with something. And so this is what they have uh, come up with. If, if it's uh, of interest to you, uh, let me know. And then also, we do a summer event for high school and college students, a conference at Manchester University in Indiana called FUEL. And we typically have about, you can't really see that too well, 185 uh, high school and college students from churches of God around uh, the country. How many of you have ever attended that? Okay, some of us certainly. And uh, just like Summit for the young kids, this is Summit for old kids, I guess. Which, uh, this, the, we do family camp and other state camps around the country every summer. Summit would be one of these things. These are not really general conference events, meaning that we plan them from Atlanta and people do them in the states. These are run by states, but they're general conference churches. So if your church is part of the general conference, this is the benefit to you. Uh, as Dan mentioned, it really significantly impacted him. Uh, I worked as I pastored about 15, 20 miles over here for about 20 years. Uh, worked with Summit for a number of years and uh, saw <clears throat> kids come through there who now sit in this room as adults and uh, have positive impact in their own local churches. So that's an important thing. And then every summer as well, because we are uh, a collective group of churches that cooperate, we have to figure out what we're going to do. So every summer we have an event called General Conference, which is really a terrible name because the General Conference has General Conference. So if you're going to General Conference, are you going to the event or to the place? Or It's, it's confusing. So maybe we'll come up with some other name like Super Fantabulous Business Meeting because that appeals, right? So this is um, every church is encouraged to send a delegate uh, based on the size of the church so that we can collectively say, hey, what do we as a group of churches feel that God is calling us to do in the coming year? What should our priorities be? How can we cooperate and coordinate our efforts to have a larger impact in the world? And then one of the things that the uh, General Conference collectively does is we uh, maintain a Bible college, which now is Atlanta Bible College. So I want to do a little bit of a trivia question. First of all, how many of you have attended or been a visited Atlanta Bible College at any point. Okay, so a number of us. Um, here's some quick questions about this. Um, how many people would you guess have attended our Bible College since 1939? I'll give you three options. Less than 1,000, between 1 and 2,000, or more than 2,000? More, 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 more than 2. More than 2, yeah. So we've had about 
2,200 some odd people attend our Bible college since uh, 1939. Uh, How many people have graduated with four-year degrees? Because a lot of students will come down for a year and then they'll go on to something else. But how many have graduated with four-year degrees? I'll give you uh, uh, another couple of options. Um, One to 200, 200 to 500, or over 500? Two to 500? The answer is 396. So, you're in a roll, man. So, two for two. How many countries have been res- represented by our student body? We've had, oh yeah, counting those on the map. We have a number of international students. I'll just give this one to you. Over the years, we've had people from 17 different countries around the world. Um, Philippines, African nations, some from Europe, etc., etc. But by far, in a way, the majority of our students come from churches of God uh, in local areas in the United States. So let me ask this question. How many states have had people attend? Let me give you a clue. It's less than 51. 30? What else do I have? 50? It's actually 31 states have had people uh, attend. Uh, here's another question. How many instructors have taught at the Bible College since they moved in 1991? So that would be the last 30 years. How many instructors? Uh, let, let me give you some, some clues. Uh, 1 to 30, 30 to uh, 70, more than 70. 30 to 70. Oh, everybody's way off. It's uh, 84. We've had 84 different people. I know, that's what I thought when I got this. I was like, really? So where'd they all go? So we, we because of the, uh, the um, online capabilities, we have people who teach from remote locations a lot of times. Um, people, Sean Finnegan's taught from New York and Jerry Werewill and Scott Dean has taught. Sometimes people will come down for a week. We've had uh, people from all over um, the, the country teach, and it's been a real blessing to our students. Um, how many international students? I said 17 countries, but how many students? We've actually had um, 58 students. Uh, so if you count up people who've come over from the Philippines or from Malawi or from Kenya, um, and then sometimes uh, they're international students even who are living in Atlanta, but um, we've we've made an effort to reach that. How many of you have ever heard the chorale sing? The chorale was a college choir that would travel to churches. Okay, how many of you were in chorale, Chris? Yeah, okay. How many people have been part of the Bible College chorale over the years? Let me yeah, give you, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. I'm going to give you some, some uh, possible answers here. Um, 0 to 75, 75 to 150, more than 150. More than 150. More than 150 it is. It's been over 200 people have uh, sung in chorale over the years. All right, uh, last question. How many campuses has the Bible College had? I see a three. Six. Four. I hear six. Interestingly enough, it's nine. So let me, yeah, I know, board of director. So president of the Bible College didn't know this. And and here's where they are. We had three different campuses in Oregon, Illinois. Um, We were at a place called Maxon's Manor. We were a place up on the hill. And then when it was first started, uh, they were in homes on 3rd Street. Then in 
Georgia, we've had two south campuses, one in Morrow and one where we are currently, and then we've had two locations for our Korean extension uh, up on the north side of Atlanta. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we've got a gentleman, Steve on, who runs an entire campus force that's all in Korean. The north side of Atlanta has the uh, second largest um, Korean population in America, outside of Los Angeles. And Los Angeles has the largest Korean population of any city in the world outside of Seoul, South Korea. Didn't know that. So lots of opportunity there. And we've actually had two campuses in South Korea itself. So add that up, it's nine. All right, so we uh, have Atlanta Bible College. Here's another thing that gets way underplayed, but I think it's important for you to, to see the value. We uh, maintain, go to the next one, uh, Ministers Association. Why is that exciting? Well, it may not be exciting, but it's certainly fundamental. And what that means is that we have a licensing uh, group that if, if people want to be licensed to pastor uh, in the Church of God General Conference, uh, they vet them doctrinally. Like, okay, so if you want to pastor uh, in our churches, what do you believe? And, and we go through that. And uh, what that does is, the value to you as a church is um, when Dan is 102 and retires, and then you say, well, where are we going to find another pastor? Well, there's a list of people who have been licensed by the Church of God General Conference, and you will know that they believe certain things, that there's some sense of uh, safety in understanding that we can hire so-and-so, um, and we don't have to worry about what their belief system might be. You'll just have to worry what their personality might be, right? Are they kooky or not kooky? But, but you'll know that there's some sense of doctrinal understanding. We also um, have collectively, as a group of churches, Lord's Harvest International, this is our worldwide missions effort. Uh, this is our organization that oversees um, all of the work in Africa and Peru and Russia and the Philippines and, and all over the world. In fact, we have uh, over 300 churches in Mozambique, and, uh, or maybe over 500 in Mozambique, over 300 in Malawi. So this is a significant thing. And the reason this matters is because the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the entire world, not just for Midwestern people. Right, And uh, the reality is that Troyview by itself couldn't start 300 churches in Africa, but all of us together cooperating can help that happen. Um, we have a new program called Ministry Outreach League, and what this is is a grant uh, program that is designed to uh, give money to churches that apply for it that have new ministry efforts that they want to do. So maybe a church wants to... Uh, start a streaming ministry, but we don't have any uh, cameras or computers, and so they can get that. Or maybe somebody says, we want to hire somebody to do a junior church program, but you know they can apply, and we can maybe offer three years of a part-time salary or whatever. And uh, those applications go to the board of directors, and they look at it, and they say, hey, let's award this. Because we really collectively want to foster a sense of... Um, initiative in our churches that, hey, let's try new things. Don't let money be the obstacle because a lot of times that gets in the way and we think, well, we can't really afford to do it. Well, let's find a way to help you afford to do it. And then if it fails, it's not because we didn't try, right? Um, also, we uh, collectively do publishing together. Uh, publishing was uh, a tremendously important thing early on in the days of the General Conference. Now, anybody with a 
with, with a cell phone can publish. Really, they just put something out and, and it goes worldwide. But there's still some shared uh, things that we can do collectively that make a difference. And uh, many of you came to faith because of something that you read or ran across or now uh, something you watched on YouTube or that you found somebody's website. So the creation of material is important. Um, in fact, that's how all of the work in uh, Malawi started. Somebody in Malawi was uh, traveling in the, I um, forget what year, uh, in Europe, went through an airport and they picked up a pamphlet by a guy named Anthony Buzzard. And uh, when they got back to Malawi, they contacted the General Conference, and Jim Madison and Anthony went over and made some contacts. And from that initial contact, 500 churches in Mozambique, 300 churches in Malawi. So printing material really does matter, even in a digital age. Um, pastor support... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm on to the next one. Church loans. Now, I know we just got debt-free, right? So, But the reality is... Here, here's something that churches, and, and Troy View will know, the, uh, the difficulty of having church debt. We have uh, a number of investments that um, are obviously in the stock market and goes up and down, but for uh, wisdom's sake, a certain portion of our investments have to have a fixed rate of return. So what we choose to do is to put that money, invest in our churches when it's necessary. So a church can get a loan for a lower interest rate than they would get from the bank, and then our investments have a fixed rate of return, so it blesses the church, and then the church in turn blesses, well, like why pay interest to a bank when you can pay it to a ministry organization, right? So that's a, that's a real benefit of being a member of the General Conference. Um, here's one that we just started, it's background checks. Background checks is one of those uh, unfortunate realities that we have to pay attention to in churches. Yes, even if you know them really, really well. Uh, we have to do our due diligence. So we have just, um, uh, this is not you email me and then I Google them. That's not what this is. This is one of those things through our insurance company. Uh, we have established a state-by-state, -state, nationwide background check program that we will pay for for you. So all you have to do is email us, we'll set you up, and then whenever it's specific to your church, whenever you have somebody who's going to work with children um, or minors or anybody that you want background checked, you send them your church's link, they do it online, the bill comes to us, we pay for it. And the reason I felt it was important to do that is because that was one of the biggest pains in my neck as a pastor. It was one of those things that I failed to do over and over because I just, it seemed like it was too much to do like, do I send them to the sheriff's office? Do I do they pay and I pay them back? How does that all happen? So if we can just remove all the obstacles and grease the skids for you, we want to do that. So uh, please take advantage of that. Um, North American missions. Bobby talked about that last night, where we are trying to come alongside churches that really want to start doing some things differently and and work with you. Um, natural church development is a survey that your church can take. It's kind of like going to the doctor for a checkup, and they weigh you and take your uh, a blood draw and, and do all that. That's what this is. There's a cost to that. We'll pay for that for your first one if you want to do it. Church Builders League, twice a year, we send out appeals to those people that want to get them. Everybody sends in 25 bucks. We collect all the money. It's usually fifteen dollars to $18,000, and then we just send that to whatever church had the appeal. So we, again, that's a 
biblical New Testament model where the churches give out of their uh, own to help others. We did that in a way last night in our offering uh, where we took up an offering and sent part of it to Lawrenceville and part of it to Pleasant Hill to help with their church loans since Purviews is done now. Um, so if you do not get those Church Builders League appeals twice a year, please email me and we'll get you on the list. 25 bucks twice a year. Uh, I don't know that they've done a campaign for that, so if you're under 45, you need to be on it, so you need to email me, sethross at gmail.com. Um, pastor support. I know, we're just ripping through these, right? Is this like the most boring sermon you've ever had? <laughs> pastor support. Now, I don't know if you know this, but pastors are people, and people have needs. And I don't know if you know this, but... People that get pastored don't always agree with their pastors. And uh, because people are pastors, sometimes they have things that they need to talk about. Um, sometimes pastors have uh, tough spots in their marriages. Sometimes their kids do things that they need to have talked about. Well, most of us in churches, we can go talk to our pastor, and then if it's serious enough, get referred to a professional counselor. Who do pastors go to? Well, if pastors have a real issue, and they go to talk to people in their church. The church is like, well, our pastor has problems, let's fire him. And uh, they get someone else. So, anyway, here's what we feel is important. We have money set aside to pay for professional counseling for pastors that are in a spot where they need it. Pastors are few and far between. We can't afford to see them dropping out. And so if there's any way we can come alongside pastors and provide mental health and emotional support, and sometimes they don't even need to talk to me. Or, and we have a pastor's pastor, one of our pastors, dedicated to a following up with pastors when they have health issues or other things that go on. But we just feel that pastors are too important to leave uh, up to their own um, just hanging in the wind. So pastor support is, is one of those things. Also, um, events, we talked about those. Uh, youth ministry, we talk about that. We do fuel every year. Don't need to do that, but we're, we're looking for ways to partner with churches and do even more uh, if that's possible. And then archives. I don't know. I used to glaze over when my dad would talk about archives. It's just like a bunch of old books. It's what I thought. But the reality is, as we're scanning those, there's been so much good stuff written. Uh, about scriptures. Why do we have to remake and create everything new every single generation? Let's build on what's been written and make it even better. So, um, if enough's been written, we really have a full Church of God commentary if we pull it together in the right way. So, let me step back from just all the to-dos and talk about why being part of a conference really is something of value. And that is that there's longevity and stability with it. If every church is independent and kind of doing their own thing, churches go through periods of ups and downs, and you know you have a big youth group for a while, and then they're all gone to college and there's no youth group, and then all of a sudden your junior church is big. And, but as part of a larger connected group, it's harder for any one church to go off the rails. Isn't it? Because there's other people there to come alongside. And sometimes it can be frustrating that things don't happen faster if we think they should happen, but that keeps us stable for the long haul. So there's a certain um, benefit to boring, isn't there? Um, you want your marriage. You don't want your marriage to be up and down and really super exciting. I mean, you want some excitement, but not like 
crazy. So sometimes I tell my wife, I love our boring marriage in a good way. You know, I don't ever have to wonder, well, where were you last night? And, you know, all those things. Boring is sometimes really, really good. Also, uh, we can support and encourage each other. Let's face it, some days church is hard. And then you look up and say, man, this is a lot of effort. And look how many people are here. Why are we still doing this? Well, we can look around and we can be encouraged that there are other people that feel this is just as important. Because what you believe matters. And that's why we do this. That's why uh, people drive from you know, northern Ohio down here for a weekend. That's why I drove to Indiana one day and to Ohio the next. Because what we do really does matter. And then, of course, everything we've talked about, we can, can coordinate and we can cooperate through all of these things. So going forward, let's just take a, a quick overview. Uh, these states that are highlighted uh, are places where the Church of God has works, or even home fellowships would certainly establish churches. This next is a worldwide map to show where we have active missions efforts. What you'll see on both of these, you're like, hey, that's a lot of countries. Uh, that's also a lot of countries where we're not. And so there's great opportunity there. And so this is all that can happen going forward. Now, of all of those things, what time is it? What time do you guys usually finish up? Seven minutes ago? <laughs> okay, good. Then, then, then we're good. All right. I'm used to me, Seth. You got about an hour. All right. So, um, so that's kind of the, the introduction. That's what's happening in the general conference today. But I want to step back from all of the to-do ministry things, and I want to talk theologically about some really um, kind of big-picture things, some, some scriptural truths that I think bear um, on our ministries. If we look at Psalm 96, it says to tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among the people. So let's talk about two specific things, and that is uh, who God is, and what God does. Because that's foundational to what we should do and the kind of people that we should be. So, first and foremost, God is one. Right? That, that, that's a fundamental truth, and I know every Christian says that same thing, but we kind of mean it in that He's one. And in Deuteronomy, right off the bat, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we make that a cornerstone of a lot of things that we teach. And we come back to that truth often. And we say, hey, God is one, and we need to teach that. And do you know that's absolutely true? But do you know that God is more than just a number? That we also, as we teach who God is, have to include that He's one, but He's holy. And He's just. And He's merciful. And He's loving. And He's righteous. He's eternal. He's immortal. God is there's so much about Him that we need to communicate. That while it is true that He is one, and that's foundational, and it sets us apart from many other kinds of believers, we need to not forget everything else that He is. And we need to teach the, the whole counsel of God and help people see that it's, God is not just someone to know about, but He's someone to seek a relationship with and to worship and to understand. But God also does certain things. Let's talk about some of the things that God does beyond who He is. One of the things God does is that He covenants. 
with people. Now, I know we talk about covenants as nouns, but it's also a verb. When you covenant with someone, you're making a promise, you're entering into a relationship, you are doing something on the behalf of someone else. There is an agreement that is reached. And we see that there were covenants with Noah. God made the covenants with Abraham. Covenants with David. And certainly the new covenant through His Son, Jesus Christ, that's given us a hope for the future. But not only does God covenant, He also reconciles. That God, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. So because God chooses to reconcile, we can go all the way back to the uh, story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when the, the, the relationship with God was broken from the very outset of the scriptures, there was need to have that relationship reconciled. We talk about that in our family. I don't know if you can imagine this, but when you have three boys all two years apart, they don't always get along. And boys in those preteen, teenager, they'll say things sometimes to each other that probably wouldn't go in the category of kind and loving. Sometimes they say things to their mom. Sometimes they say things to their dad. And there's a real um, kind of my, my first reaction is to just fix the behavior, make it right. You know, don't act that way. I'll smash you, right? Because I am the just and not yet merciful father. But we realize somewhere along the way that it's not just the behavior that's the issue. Because when someone lies or someone's unkind, while the behavior is inappropriate. It breaks relationship. It taxes the relationship. And so for us in our family, a lot of the say you're sorry bit isn't just so you get your iPad back, but it's so that you can fix the relationship. There is a reconciliation. And so we say to the boys, go make it right. Go make it right with your brother. I know you were mad. I know he probably deserved it. You need to go make the relationship right. That's what God has done with us. He has offered to make the relationship right. But it is on us to follow up on that invitation. And then God willingly has offered us the opportunity to help the world be reconciled. We are His ambassadors. God not only reconciles, but He also restores. I want to talk about this real quickly. In Acts 3, it says... That he, meaning God, may send Jesus. They're looking to the future. We want God to send Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. So in God's master plan, the world that we experience is broken, right? I mean, all we have to do is flip on the news and we see all the crazy things. And, and uh, you know, people are doing things that you just think, man, I don't even understand that. The world is broken. And God knows that. And he's not happy about it. He allows it for a period of time, but his ultimate goal is to restore it. See, when he made everything, when God created the world, he stepped back on six consecutive days and he said it was good. And so he wants it to be that way again. And he'll restore everything again. And so Acts goes on that he um, 
that is called the kingdom of God. That at some point, God's going to restore the world. And that doesn't just mean, um, you know, fix global warming or, or whatever, but it means fix people, restore relationship, put things back the way they were, end cancer, end pain, end suffering, end hunger, end disease, all of those things. The world will be made right. So those are some things about who God is and what God does. And I know there's you could add other things to the list, but that, that's a, a general list. But here's some things that I've learned over 25 plus years in ministry. There's probably other things that are true, and you might um, want to add to this list. But here's a list of some things that I've learned. One is, especially from the Church of God perspective, being right is not the same as being righteous. That it is true that we need to work to have right doctrine and right understanding and to teach what the Scripture says, but that is not the sum total of your Christian life. That I have known people in the past who were very, very right doctrinally, and they were just big fat jerks. They were not very righteous in their rightness, if that makes sense. In fact, uh, Jesus had this uh, conversation all the time with Pharisees. He's like, hey, you guys might know the law, but you're kind of big fat jerks. Right? I know that's a theological Greek term. But it's one of those things that being righteous is a way of living. And I don't mean you know, self-righteous. I'm talking about godly righteousness. That the way I conduct myself in my relationships, the way that I handle my boys, the way that I treat my wife, the way that I interact with people at church when they disagree with me, the way that I uh, meet with my church board, the way that I interact with the other coach of my kid's soccer team when things go sideways on a Saturday, the way that I handle the lady in front of me at the line at Walmart when, oh my gosh... It's, you know, the way that I handle people that cut me off in traffic. The way that I fill out my taxes and whether or not I'm really going to fudge that or not. The way that I handle my business details. The way that I, am I going to get paid cash under the table? Am I really going to do it the right way? The way that I live my life is way different than just being right doctrinally. We need to be right doctrinally. But we also need to live as righteous men and women of God. I also have learned as a pastor in the Church of God, that our faith heritage is something on which we can build, not rest. There can be um, a tendency for us to say, well, you know, look at our heritage, and look at you know, everything they did. Well, what have you done? Nothing, but look what they did. And uh, I think while our heritage is important, it's not where we're going, it's where we've been. And it has laid a foundation for us. So what are we going to do now based on what others have done then. Because while we tell the stories of what people have done that have gone before us, what will the stories that people tell of you? What will they say that you did to lay the groundwork for something else? Something to consider. Um, let's keep moving. Uh, here's something I learned. Running from something is also running towards something else. I know this seems a little bit high in the sky. But when we move away from something like, oh, I don't want to be you know, near that person. Oh, we don't want to be like that church. Oh, we don't want to be like those people. Oh, I don't want to vote like them. You know, how whatever, whether it's politics, economics, church life, you know, this happens in marriage. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, my, my husband's so boring. I just think I need to move on with my life. Well, 
a lot of times we think more about what we're moving away from, and the reality is every time you move away from something, you're also moving towards something else. You know, so just like uh, if we, as a general conference, are talking about the possibility of relocating. Well, you know, crime, and then we're down there, and we've got to move away from, and blah, blah, blah. But what are you moving toward? I think all of us need to think proactively. Rather than trying to avoid all these other things, you know, preachers can get into that. We're just going to preach about what we're against. But what are we for? What are we pursuing? We do that to kids all the time. What? This is not in my notes. This is for free. Um, you know, moral uh, purity is important. You know, don't have sex until you're married. And we tell kids more about what not to do than what they should be pursuing. Don't do that. How far is too far? Don't go there. Don't think that. Don't look at that. Don't touch your hair. Don't, you know, I mean, all these don't, don't, don'ts. And you, if you're not careful, I heard a preacher say this somewhere, that uh, you can grow up thinking that God's word is just one word. No. You know, just, uh, what does God think? No. But the reality is, you know, in terms of, let me just break it down. Instead of, in, the, in terms of morality for students, and telling, instead of telling them what not to do, let's tell them what to pursue. Right? Instead of don't have sex, you need to pursue intimacy. Pursue purity. And, and what does purity look like? Well, now, if I've got something to pursue, my pursuit of that leads me on my own to say no to other things. Right? We do that with diets all the time. Don't eat that. Don't have carbs. Don't have sugar. Don't have... What are you left with? Broccolis and sticks. <laughs> you know? So instead of telling me what not to eat, why don't you lay out before me a whole thing that I can eat, right? That's how successful people who are healthy do it. They fill their fridge with lots of things they should eat instead of having stuff they shouldn't in big, like, red letters, don't eat. Anyway, that was... I'm not sure why that happened. Okay. Um, here's, here's another one. That our identity is in Christ, not in our doctrines. But it is our doctrines that point us to Christ. So this is a, a rather nuanced thing. It's especially in the, the Church of God and because of our uh, doctrinal heritage, we can start to believe that my identity is in the Church of God General Conference. That God sees me as not them. He sees me as uh, part of the Church of God. That is not who you are. You are children of God through Jesus Christ. When you stand before Him in judgment, He's not going to ask what denomination you were a part of. He's going to say, did you accept my Son? Is your identity in Him? That's who you are. Now having said that, I'm firmly convinced that being in the church of God and having the doctrinal understandings that we have point us to a relationship with Christ. That understanding that Jesus was actually human and that He was God's Messiah, suddenly, when I read the story of His temptation, I can relate to that. And because I understand that He's a human and I understand that He wasn't God Himself, suddenly, I can relate in such a way that I am moved and inspired to combat temptation in a way that I might not have otherwise. Does that make sense? So don't get so wrapped up in what label you have outside of the label of Christ. That one gives me some disagreement in some places. Um, here's another thing, and we're wrapping up here. Um, we need to spend our time and energy wisely. I know that sounds like a no-brainer. But sometimes we put a lot of effort and a lot of money and a lot of worry and a lot of focus on things that in the long run 
really have little benefit. You know, what do they say? Um, I keep the main thing, the main thing. I, I have to fight this battle all the time, raising boys. Right? Would you please put your socks in the laundry room? Right? That could be my life. You know, my wife says the same thing. Every time I pick up, I turn around and it's dirty again. You know, why do I even do this? You're nodding your head. You got to, yeah, it's like one of those. And there are some days it's probably okay to have a messy house when he walks in the door in tears. Sorry, dad talks get me emotional. Because I really want them to pick up their laundry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is funny. Last night I'm here, I'm doing this uh, talk and having cake and ice cream and debt free and, you know, doing the Northeast Conference thing. And uh, I go out to the, the truck and uh, this is just between you and me, so don't tell the internet. Um, I get some texts from uh, my wife and a really, really long text from uh, one of my boys, and uh, th they had a soccer game yesterday against uh, the only uh, a team that they beat last year, but it's, it's a, one of those kind of contested, uh, you know how some teams are a little more chippy, and uh, when the text from your son says, let me explain, Dad, <laughs> and, and so uh, the, the coach on the other team um, is a sheriff, and uh, his demeanor is not... Um, Probably praiseworthy, if we'll say it that way. And uh, and my son um, threw a lot of the, you know everybody and on both sides of a, a, a game thinks the ref is terrible. Like it doesn't really matter. Like so, our kids thought the ref was terrible, not calling things. And and my son um, let his emotions get the best of him, and and uh, he pulled kind of a linebacker move in soccer. He just totally trucked this kid and got a yellow card. He should have got it. No problem. And I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Um, so after the game, um, they're going through the line, and uh, he comes to the kid that, that he ran over and went to shake his hand because <laughs> I made him watch the, uh, uh, we're in the middle of watching The Last Dance, Michael Jordan, and he remembered the story about Isaiah Thomas not shaking hands. He's like, I need to shake this kid's hands even though I'm really mad at him. And the kid says, a choice word, and he's like, no way. And he punches my son in the man parts. And drops him. Yeah. And uh, and then, uh, this is like after the game. Like, my kid gets decked. <sighs> so, our coach goes to the referee and says, you know, hey, we're going to handle this? And the ref says, oh, game's over. I don't have any jurisdiction. So he goes to this other coach. And the mom's right there. He's lying. And uh, so the other coach just sort of ignores it and, and goes away. And... Uh, so you can imagine the text that I'm getting, and I'm not, it's probably a good thing I wasn't there. Let me just say that, because um, being Christian is hard sometimes. And uh, so anyway, uh, th this morning uh, I had the joy of writing an email to the league office. And uh, anyway, so the, the point being, I called last night. And there's a part of me as a dad that says, what are you running over the kid for? He who controls his emotions controls the game. And, and to coach him up, right? To fix the behavior. But my first question had to be, how are you doing? So, 
<laughs> Just had to talk about it. Because my concern is more about who he is becoming as a person than whether or not he got decked. I mean, how many of us, you know, got hit or somebody knocked our books out of our hand or whatever. Those things, it's almost, it's almost irrelevant. But who he is, how he responds, how, what his character is going to be. That's what matters. I don't care if he scores four goals. I mean, it's awesome when he does. He's really good. But that's not who he is, right? And anyway, this is my coaching talk. Sorry. But the same thing is true of you and your walk with the Lord. And I know that there are things that make us mad and things we think our church should do or the elders should have done or, you know, we can't believe that they voted and what's the city council doing and why did the school board do this? And we can get all up in arms over all these things. But folks, what really matters? What really matters? It's things of eternal natures. And, and even this other coach that I think is a Yahoo is love by God and Christ died for him. So what do I do about that? Well, I get him not to coach anymore, and I talk to him about Jesus. So, anyway, we just need to be wise and uh, think about how we spend our time and think about uh, how we spend our energy. So, anyway, where are we on time? Ah, okay, real quickly. Uh, another thing that I've learned is you can't rush conversion. In fact, it's really interesting. The thing that we feel like God's called us to do, go and make disciples, right? We really, our mission to lead people to Christ is kind of a, an impossible mission because I can't make someone believe. I can't make someone convert. I can't make someone repent. God does that. But what I can do is create environments in my church in which God is more free to work than otherwise, right? That's why we do camps. That's why we do conferences. Because sometimes when you take a, a student and you pull them out of their routine and they're in an environment where God seems to be more likely to do something, that's what we want to do as churches. And sometimes people just need time to process Either they need their life to hit bottom, maybe they just need to change their mind doctrinally about some things. Don't get impatient. It takes years and years and years. Moses didn't get it till he was 40, right? And um, so be patient. And then I think um, together is better than separate, isn't it? Uh, that's why we have a conference of churches. We could do this all by ourselves, right? For those of you who uh, don't live near a church, it can be really lonely, and together is better than separate. And so we want to continue to do that. And that's why it's important to take time out of your schedule to get together, uh, especially on Sundays. And, uh, and ultimately, and I'm going to skip some of the last slides here, but I'll make this the last slide today. I, I ran across this thought. A guy named Reggie Joyner said, as he summarized and looked at Jesus' ministry, that Jesus essentially came to build a bridge relationally and to turn on a light spiritually. I really kind of identified that. If I was to sum up what, what we as believers and as churches can do, if we can build bridges relationally and turn on the light spiritually for people, then we set the stage for God to work in their hearts and in their lives in a way that really will matter for all of eternity. And we will have the, the personal, uh, I guess, uh, fulfillment of knowing that we had maybe a small part in somebody moving from light uh, from darkness to light from not being saved to being saved, to, to changing the course of their life, perhaps in this life, but certainly for all of eternity. Because what we do on a week-to-week -week basis, while it can seem boring, it can seem insignificant, is not insignificant. 
What you do here matters. What you do in your church matters. What you do on a Tuesday night matters. How you interact with teachers at school matters. How you interact with your kids matter. How you interact with your spouse. It matters. So keep it up. Be faithful. Engage with your church. Share your faith when you have the opportunity. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for uh, Your goodness. We thank You for, um, in Your grace, that we have seen certain things in Scriptures that uh, we feel are clear. Uh, I thank You for the hope that You've given us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be Your ambassadors. Help us to live our lives wisely and in righteousness as, most, as best we can. And we ask You to, to make up the difference. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, feel Your presence and also to have Your wisdom as we engage with people. Help us to seize opportunities as You open them up. We look forward to the day Your Son returns. May that day come soon. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Feel stand with us. We're going to close the song.
the rain. 